Hello, this is Snigdha from Newslaundry.com bringing you your daily dose of news. Today is Monday, the 28th of December. A little over 20,000 fresh coronavirus cases were reported in the country in the last 24 hours, pushing the total tally to more than 1.02 crores or 10.2 million. Under 300 fresh fatalities were recorded and the nationwide death toll crossed the 1.47 lakh mark. India tested one of the lowest number of samples for COVID-19 yesterday since August. A little more than 7 lakh samples were tested compared to the usual figure of nearly 11 lakh samples a day. A two-day dummy COVID vaccination drive or dry run to check the country's vaccine delivery system, logistics and preparedness commenced in multiple states today, including Andhra Pradesh, Gujarat, Punjab and Assam. The winter session of the Madhya Pradesh Assembly scheduled today was postponed as 61 employees of the Assembly Secretariat and five MLAs tested positive for COVID-19. The Gujarat government yesterday said that 12 people who travelled to the state from the United Kingdom and other European countries had tested positive for coronavirus. RT-PCR tests were conducted for over 1,700 people who travelled to Gujarat from November 25th to December 23rd. Passengers coming to the country from the United Kingdom and other European countries are being monitored after the recent discovery of a mutant strain of COVID-19 in the United Kingdom. The farmers' agitation against the centre's farm laws at the borders of Delhi entered the 33rd day today. A fresh round of talks between the centre and the farmer union leaders is scheduled to take place tomorrow. Meanwhile, a lawyer from Punjab's Fazilka district who had been protesting with the farmers at Delhi's Tikri border died by suicide last morning. According to an Indian Express report, 63-year-old Amarjeet Singh Rai consumed farm pesticide and before collapsing, he handed over two printed letters to his fellow protesters. One letter was addressed to the Prime Minister Narendra Modi, while the other was to his fellow protesters. Rai was taken to the Bahadurgarh hospital after protesters got to know that he had consumed pesticide. He was then shifted to another hospital where he was declared dead. In the letter addressed to the Prime Minister, Rai wrote that he had expected a better future with Modi as the Prime Minister. The letter read, and I quote, The common people like farmers and labourers are feeling defrauded by your three agricultural black bills. The public is on tracks and roads not for votes but for the livelihood of their families and generations. Unquote. In another incident, a 70-year-old woman from Mazdoor Mukti Morcha died in a road accident in Haryana's Fatehabad today. The accident took place when she was on her way back from the Delhi border. According to farmer unions, more than two dozen people have died at or on their way to the farmer protests in Delhi since they started a month ago. Residents of Punjab's Mohali yesterday organised demonstrations in support of the farmers protesting at the borders of Delhi. The protesters demanded a repeal of the centre's farm laws and echoed that the laws would not prove to be beneficial for the farmers. Social activist Anna Hazare today threatened to go on a hunger strike if his demands regarding farmers' issues are not met by the central government by the end of January next year. He said it would be his last protest. Agitating farmers and supporting groups in Punjab have targeted Reliance Geo's telecom towers in the state, disrupting mobile and internet services of the company. According to industry sources, protesting groups have cut off the power supply of around 1,300 mobile towers of Geo in the state. In total, there are around 9,000 towers of Geo in Punjab. Punjab leaders, meanwhile, launched an attack on the BJP yesterday for the alleged derogatory remarks made by the party's senior leaders against the protesting farmers. 
Punjab Chief Minister Amrinder Singh asked the Saffron Party to stop maligning the farmers and their fight for justice by using offensive terms such as urban Naxals, Khalistanis, hooligans, etc. He added, and I quote, If the BJP cannot distinguish between anguished citizens fighting for their survival and terrorists, militants and hooligans, it should give up all pretense of being a people's party. Unquote. Punjab's opposition party, Shiromani Akali Dal, also hit out at the Bharati Janta Party for such remarks made by its leaders. Dear listeners, not to boast, but News Laundry's coverage of the ongoing farmer protests has really stood out. Our reporters have been visiting the protest sites day in and day out, bringing you ground reports based on their conversations with the agitating farmers. Before I move on to the next news story, here is a small request for you. After you're done listening to this podcast, please do spare a few minutes to check out our website and all the ground reports that we have been publishing. Give them a read and if you're satisfied that we're doing a good job, please do consider subscribing to News Laundry. I'm asking you this because we are a 100% ad-free news platform, meaning we only count on people like you who understand the importance of keeping news independent to support us and to help us stay afloat. So go to our website newslaundry.com and hit that subscribe button on the top right corner. A monthly subscription costs as low as 300 rupees only. A 17-year-old Dalit girl was allegedly raped in Uttar Pradesh's Shah Jahanpur on Saturday. The police said yesterday that a 25-year-old man had been held for the crime. It added that the accused is from the girl's village. The superintendent of police said that the Dalit girl was raped in a sugarcane field by the accused. She managed to escape and narrated her ordeal to her family members who lodged a police complaint. The police officer added that the girl had been sent for a medical examination and the accused was arrested on Saturday night. The blatant discrimination in media's reporting of rape cannot be ignored. The Nirbhaya case, the Hyderabad case and the Shakti Mills case got far more attention than the Dalit rape cases that take place on a daily basis. The victims in the former were upper caste and middle class women to whose pain the media and the middle classes could relate. The rape of Dalit women showcases the compounded discrimination faced by Dalit communities, especially Dalit women. Young professionals in India claim that there is no caste in the country. There's anger when India's casteism is brought up in the United Nations. There's a widespread inability to understand the particular realities of Dalit lives, leading to blatant protests against reservations during admission season. All this points to our deep discomfort and denial of the stark caste-based and intersectional discrimination in India. So why is India so uncomfortable with talking about casteism? For more insight into the matter, do read Amita Pitre's piece on our website newslaundry.com. It is titled, Condemning the Hatras Horror is Not Enough. We need to talk about caste and gender in our institutions. In Kerala, a 21-year-old college-going woman is all set to become the youngest panchayat president. Reshma Mariam Roy from the Communist Party of India Marxist or CPIM will become the president of the Aruva Pulam Panchayat in Patanam Thitta district. Roy was the youngest candidate in the local body elections. She recently came into the spotlight when she filed her nomination the day she turned 21, which is the minimum age for contesting elections. In the electoral exercise, she won a seat that was with the Congress for the last two terms. Roy told the media that she would not like to be known as the youngest people's representative, but as the most efficient panchayat president. This comes when the Thiruvananthapuram Corporation got its youngest mayor. 21-year-old Arya Rajendran, who is also from the CPIM, was sworn in today as the youngest mayor of a city in the history of our country. 
Rajendran is a Bachelor of Science student at the city's All Saints College. The CPIM District Committee in a meeting last week had recommended her name for the position. The party was confident about Rajendran's win as the CPIM-led Left Democratic Front has a majority in the council. Rajendran is the state president of Bala Sangam, a children's organization associated with the CPIM. She is also a state committee member of the Students' Federation of India or SFI. According to a Hindustan Times report, Rajendran is the daughter of an electrician and an LIC agent. Roy and Rajendran, however, were not the only youth representatives to be elected in Kerala. According to an Indian Express report, 22-year-old Johnny's P. Stephen also got elected as the president of Kerala's Uzavur Panchayat. Stephen, who is a master's student, ran the election as an independent candidate. Six students of a government-run college in Uttar Pradesh's Ayodhya district were booked for sedition today. This came after the college principal lodged a complaint accusing them of raising anti-national slogans calling for Azadi in a campus protest earlier this month. N.D. Pandey, the principal of Saket Degree College, alleged that the students shouted slogans like Leke Rehenge Azadi, meaning we will take our freedom, during a protest. They were protesting against the non-conduct of student union elections at the institute on December 16th. Pandey claimed that the students wanted to take Azadi by revolt and by violence. He added, and I quote, They were trying to burn the nation and they were creating violence. To protect the motherland is my duty and I have filed the complaint against the students. Unquote. Pandey told the Indian Express that the six students locked the main gate of the campus during the protest and misbehaved with the administration and other students. Abhas Krishna Yadav, a student union leader, said that the protesters were only saying that they wanted freedom from the principal and the college's chief proctor. The principal cited the college's ongoing admission process for not conducting the student elections. A student leader, meanwhile, questioned this reasoning and said that the elections were not held in the college owing to the Ram Mandir issue. He added that this year too, the elections had been cancelled despite physical classes commencing as per usual. Besides sedition, the six students have also been booked for rioting, disobedience, causing hurt to deter public servants from duty, wrongful confinement and criminal intimidation, among other charges. The Law of Sedition or Section 124A of the Indian Penal Code was introduced in 1870 when India was a British colony. The law makes written verbal or non-verbal expression of hatred, contempt or disaffection towards the government a non-bailable offence. Such an offence could invite a prison term of three years or a life imprisonment. The law was brought in to curb dissent amongst the Indian people against the British rule. In independent India, however, the law has often been referred to as draconian. According to National Crime Records Bureau data, the number of cases filed under sedition have been increasing in the recent years. Moreover, in January this year, more than 3,000 people protesting against the Citizenship Amendment Act were charged with sedition, while in 2019, more than 3,300 farmers were again charged with sedition for protesting about land disputes. So should such a law be scrapped or should it continue to invite cases in contemporary India? To find the answer, go to newslaundry.com and listen to our podcast, News Laundry vs. News Laundry, where my colleagues Meghnad and Pratik debated the issue out. The podcast is titled News Laundry vs. News Laundry, Episode 3, Should India Sedition Law Be Scrapped? And now for some international updates. Globally, COVID-19 has infected more than 80.7 million people and killed over 1.76 million. Over 45.6 million people, however, have recovered from the virus. Meanwhile, South Africa's COVID caseload touched the 1 million mark today. 
In China, a citizen journalist called Zhang Zan, who covered the coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan, was sentenced to four years in prison by a court in Shanghai. Zhang's lawyer said that the grounds for her sentence were that she was found guilty of picking quarrels and provoking trouble. She was detained in May after she reported on the spread of the virus in Wuhan. Her trial comes just weeks before an international team of World Health Organization experts is expected to arrive in China to investigate the origins of COVID-19. In Switzerland, hundreds of tourists who had come to the country from the United Kingdom escaped from quarantine at a ski resort this week. To contain the spread of the new mutant strain of COVID-19, Switzerland had announced on December 21st that those who travelled from the United Kingdom since December 14th would have to self-isolate for 10 days from the arrival date. After staying in quarantine for a day, 200 to 400 tourists who had come from the UK for the holiday season escaped the ski resort in the middle of the night. American President Donald Trump finally signed the $900 billion coronavirus relief package to help the US economy recover from the pandemic. After months of deliberations, the package was passed by both Democrats and the Republicans in the Congress last Sunday. It was also believed that the package had Trump's support, but the president unexpectedly made fresh objections and demanded changes just days ago. The signed aid package includes $286 billion in direct economic relief and funds for restarting pandemic unemployment benefits at $300 a week. A high-level Chinese delegation arrived in the Nepali capital of Kathmandu today. The delegation, led by a vice minister of the Communist Party of China or CPC, came with the objective of taking stock of the current political situation in the hill country. No specific details about the agenda of the visit were made available. Last Sunday, Nepal had descended into a political crisis when the country's Prime Minister K.P. Oli, known for his pro-China leanings, had recommended the dissolution of the country's parliament. Acting on the Prime Minister's recommendation, President Bidya Devi Bhandari dissolved the 275-member parliament two years before schedule. Fresh elections on April 30th and May 10th next year were also announced. This sparked protests from a large section of the Nepali Communist Party or NCP led by Pushpa Kamal Prachanda, the former Premier of Nepal. Prachanda and PM Oli have been at loggerheads for months, which has led to an internal rift in the party. The Chinese embassy in Nepal too has not disclosed much about the reason for the delegation's visit. After the dissolution of the parliament, however, the Chinese ambassador to Nepal had held meetings with senior leaders of the NCP from both the Prachanda and Oli-led factions. The leader of the delegation is also scheduled to hold similar meetings with leaders of both the factions. Beijing is believed to be concerned over Oli's move to dissolve the House of Representatives. This intervention into Nepal's politics by China is not new. In May this year, the Chinese ambassador held multiple meetings with the president, prime minister and other senior NCP leaders when Oli was facing party pressure to step down. In recent years, China's influence on Nepal has been on the rise with multi-billion dollar investments in infrastructure projects in the country. Besides this, the Chinese ambassador is also believed to be making efforts to garner the support of the country's prime minister. That's all for today. Have a great day or a good night depending on where you're listening from. See you tomorrow. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.